Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? All right, welcome to another episode of Audience First. As always, I have a very special guest with us today. I have the one and only Charles Payne on the show today. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Danny. Really yeah, appreciate it. For sure. And again, thank you for such patience. For those of you who don't know, uh, Charles and I have been talking for a while, and I had to reschedule our podcast episode like four times over last minute. So, Charles, apologies for that, and thanks for the flexibility. I'm really happy you uh, you joined us today. So, let's get straight into it. Charles, I want to know who are you, what do you do, and why the hell do you do it? Yeah, great question. I figured you'd ask it just like you wrote it. I'm a CISO for Neptune Media, and we're a venture capital company. But we also we also host uh, cybersecurity events and summits just to try to give back to the community and try to do something a little bit differently than everybody else. Right. Why do you do it, though? Let's dig into that a little bit more. Funny story. Um, I was complaining to our board about how much some of the other cybersecurity events I've been to are lackluster, if you will. And uh, they told me, if you don't like it, you should go change it. And then here we are. So they gave you that flexibility to just go take the reins and do something a little bit different. Yes, they did. Yeah. What, in your opinion, do you think needs changing? You know, that's a great question. So for me, my value and my, my ROI from a, a CISO's perspective is to, the ability to build relationships with vendors, build the, that partnership. That's what I really look forward to is having a partnership with a vendor that I can call at, you know, I don't want to say all hours of the night, but I want to be able to rely on if there's a problem. Right. And that's something that lacks predominantly in the industry. We have a lot of people trying to sell stuff. We have a lot of people trying to buy some stuff. Yeah. But we don't really have anybody trying to create those relationships. Right. And that's, that's, where, that's where things should change and things need to be better. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that's one of the things you dislike about this industry, but Let's dig in a little bit more and double click into what you hate most about this industry. Yes, yeah, so I normally focus on what I love most first, but yes, what I what I dislike most about the industry is that there are many things that aren't very personal. Okay. It's, there's there's a lot of things on a high level that are just trying to like get you to buy something. You know what David and you know Alan Alford and some of the other guys will call FUD. You mm -hmm. know the whole fear and certainty and doubt thing. They're just trying to you know give you that shock and awe, scare you, just to try to make you buy something, and that's. You know, we've seen that so many times. It's kind of like I, I really don't like when someone tries to pitch me based on like, oh, you know this or you know that. And like, yes, I already know that. That's my job. Thanks for trying to point that out to me. I don't need you to send me an email saying, well, do you know if you're secure or not? Well, of course I know where I am and where I'm not. I mean, that that's ideally my job. However, I don't need you to try to scare me or try to force me into making a panic decision and try to get me to purchase something. Just try to talk to me like a person. You know, right. person to person sales are much more efficient than you trying to use FUD or something else or some other acronym to try to get me to purchase or, or stimulate me to do something because it will stimulate me to do something. I promise you that, but it's usually, you know, like Chris and everybody else, it's just the delete key or, or something else. It's nothing positive for, for the vendors aspect. 
So let's flip it on its head because you like talking about what you love about the industry. What What is it that you love about the industry? And then I will follow up with that shortly after with what stimulates you to make a d decision to do something from a positive perspective. Perfect. So what I love about the industry is that when there's a problem, we'll all rally together. Yeah. We, we have that, we have the ability to unite under uh, for, or for a single cause. And I think that's where our industry is great is it has the ability to help the community and to rally around a single a, a cause. I, I say a single cause because we don't normally rally around everything holistically. It's usually like an incident or a situation that will all come together, but seldomly do we come together all the time, which is kind of where, again, the industry is a little bit broken, but in short, you know, short sighted talking about the, the benefits of the industry, when, when there is a situation or there's a, something that's happening, that's critical. You, you tend to find the industry pulled together pretty well right. to work out a solution. So you mentioned that you're working on events now from the CISO perspective. What is valuable to you? And I've been to uh, just recently a few large public security events and noticed that a lot of folks lobby con. A lot of folks hang out in the lobbies, at the bars. They run ancillary events. They run offsite events apart from expoing on the trade show floor, right? So in your opinion as a CISO, when you attend smaller events or lobby cons of these larger public security events, what specific aspects of those small events attract you as a professional? You know, I look at what I'm going to gain. Again, I judge my ROI based on the relationships I'm going to build and the partnerships right. I'm going to forge. Right. So I look at the other executives that are attending and I look at the vendors. Mm -hmm. I'm probably... I, I can't be. I'm, I'm not. I can't be the only person that's looking at the vendors. I, I need partnerships. We have. I'm in a regulated industry. We have to have those type of relationships. We have to have partnerships with vendors. So I know. I know I'm not the only one by far. But I do know that when I am judging the smaller events, I want to make sure that the vendors that are that are going to be there are relevant to what I'm doing, are relevant to my industry, and are also mm -hmm. I'm able to connect with with peers. But you know, a few, a few side notes to that, and we'll we'll discuss on the on the on your follow up questions. But yeah, yeah, that's that's generally what I look for. Well, are there certain types of technologies that you look out for, uh, or solutions or services um, that you're more likely to explore at smaller like ancillary events or offsite uh, activities compared to the larger expo kind of things? Yes, yeah. So I'll actually explore a lot because it's it's about time, right? So at a smaller event, I've got more more niche time. I've got more time to spend one-on-one -on -one with the vendors. I've got more time to network with my, with, with my peers. So I have a lot more of an opportunity to explore for something new than I wouldn't have at a normal Black Hat or RSA, for example. You know, RSA, Black Hat, there's thousands of people, thousands of vendors. I just I don't have time. And on top of that, at right. a larger event, I'm competing to talk to the CTO, this, the CISO from the vendor. So at that point in time, I'm competing against everybody else trying to get their time. And I, it usually never benefits me to the point of where, okay, I got five questions in, or maybe I got one question, or maybe I saw them FaceTime for five minutes. It's just not worth my time. I want to unwrap your journey or your experience where a smaller event or ancillary activity at a large public security event has significantly influenced your purchasing decision. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, absolutely. So there's actually, um, there's, there's actually a pretty good one that comes to mind. And the, the guy's name was Jacob. I think he works for Thales at this point. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was one of those things where he was the, um, the, one of the, the VPs of the sales for the vendor that we were using or going to potentially use. 
And it was something where we, we just finished the conference. We were just sitting at the bar. He yeah. came over and says, hey, can I buy a drink? I'm like, no, I'm good. I got an open tab. Do you want a drink? And then we were sitting there bickering back and forth of who was going to buy the, who was going to buy the drink. I was I thought that was kind of funny because it's like there's not too many people that have that type of personality, but more so, and it wasn't so much that that did it. It was the fact that he didn't come down. He didn't say who he was. He didn't really talk about anything other than hey, hey. He's like, hey, bro, how you doing? How'd you think of the conference? You know, it wasn't it wasn't a sales pitch. It was just a very it was like a friend to a friend type of thing. It was a person to a person conversation. It was a very informal, Hey, how you doing? But then as a the conversation progressed, it was like, well, this is what I do. Yeah. I'm the CISO, blah, blah, blah. He's like, Oh, I do VP of sales, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. What do you guys do? He's like, Oh, we do certificate access management. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Google's messing up some stuff. They're trying to push certificates out every 90 days. That's going to be, that's going to be hell trying to make sure we, we maintain compliance with that. Right. It's like, yeah, we've got it. We have solutions that meant that automate all that stuff. I'm like, Oh really? That's kind of interesting. And that's kind of what kicked that off. It was just, it was just someone sitting down saying, Hey, you know, can I buy a drink? I'm like, Hey, I got up a time. You want to drink? And then just being a friend, just hanging out. I mean, it's, it's as simple as something can be. It's, it's a, it wasn't a sales. It wasn't a sales call. It wasn't like a, Hey, you should buy my stuff. This is what I do. It was more like, Hey, you want to drink? And what happened after that? So you finished that, you finished the drink, you finished the event, the, you went home. Yeah, then the follow-up started. In fact, I actually started following up with him. Okay. Because what happens is, again, my, my normal personality, build relationships, partnerships, et cetera. So we connected on LinkedIn. I pulled out my phone, pulled out my barcode and showed him my phone. We scanned each other. And then we, I messaged him a, a couple of days or a week or so after I came back home. And I can't remember the exact time period. But yeah. yeah. That barcode, was it LinkedIn or what was it, your like digital business card? What was it? Oh, it was LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. I found out about that barcode, by the way, uh, at RSA when I started seeing people bring that up. Like, I didn't know there was a barcode for LinkedIn, to be honest. We talked about some mistakes that are being made or some issues that you think are problematic in, in the industry with regards to smaller events. Chris Roberts and I, other folks in the industry talk about the issues at big public security events and expos, let's divulge some of the common mistakes that vendors make uh, at these offsite events or at lobby cons or, you know, the, the round tables, what's above, below, in between events. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I, I speak from the standpoint of, of Horizon, Horizon, mm -hmm. the Horizon, you know, cybersecurity summits, but, the, um, we built our summits to be very social. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's not like a whole sales type of thing. We we're doing soft selling and, mm -hmm. and soft relationships and introductions that way. And I, I've been to many B-sides conferences and, and some other smaller ones. And, and I'm not talking about B-sides Vegas. I'm talking about some of the other smaller cities and locations. And you'll see the vendors like sitting behind the table and like, you are never going to interact with anybody at B-sides just sitting by the table by yourself. I'm like, that, that's never going to work. Mm -hmm. It's like you have you have to get up and you have to interact. Mm -hmm. you know, same thing with our summits; you have to interact. If you if you sit there and you expect people to come to you, it's like it's we're not bees and honey. It's it's you you've got to get up and, and participate type of scenario. Yeah. So that that's kind of that's one of the, the biggest things. And another thing that I've seen is when when I'm walking by a booth or I'm walking by a table, sometimes it, if it's a smaller show, they might be slower, and then maybe they're having a you know employee to employee conversation, a vendor to vendor conversation, and then, I'll stand there for maybe a minute or so, 30 seconds. And if they don't acknowledge me, I'll, I'll tend to just walk on. I'm like, I'm, my time's precious too. And I just keep going. So those are the two biggest things that I, or my two biggest criticisms for, yeah. for that. 
why is it necessary though to focus on the soft skills? Because I mean, we we went through the agenda that's going to be kicking off in in Hawaii. We'll get into a little bit of what we're you know what you're doing in Hawaii, but why soft skills over or soft topics over some of the more technical issues that are being addressed? You know, at Black Hat, RSA, in general, which is so powerful and popular for vendors these days. Absolutely. So great question. So most of what we need are some of the other basic GRC stuff. We need like the governance risk and compliance. We need the legal tech right. context. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to misspeak here. The, um, we actually do have Jeff Sims who works for highest that actually does a lot of the um, AI and some of the other pen testing stuff actually wrote, you know, some of the polymorphic stuff with uh, black Mamba for, uh, with chat mm -hmm. GPT. So we, we definitely do have a technical track. Uh, and I don't want to detract from that, but what I do want to, what I, what I do want to highlight is we do have a lot of soft skills about where people talk about, you know, how expensive it is to hire and how difficult it is to hire. Mm -hmm. So I thought it'd also be important to, instead of trying to have such a churn in the cybersecurity industry, why don't we focus on keeping the talent that we have? Why don't we try to focus on retaining the good talent that we have and, and work with them to work with us and make our businesses grow? Yeah. It seems like we've got this mentality of like just burn, burn, burn. And then, mm -hmm. you know, when they, when they burn out, throw them away, get a new one. We'll hire a new one and keep going. And it's like, no, no, no. We got we, we to change this mentality. Yeah. Why do you think that there's kind of this barrier to changing this mentality with regards to soft topics and soft skills in, in the industry among practitioners and executives, C-level executives as well? You know, I'll, I'll admit I'm probably one of the people who see value. And I, it's kind of complicated, but I'm probably one of the few people who's who didn't see value in some of the soft, soft topics initially until I started experiencing what they really meant intrinsically. Okay. And I'm like, so I'm like, I looked at it like, okay, from, cause my background, I'm a, I'm a technical and, and business oriented CISO. So yeah. basically I have the financial acumen and I also have all of the, the technical skills. So for me, I look at it like, okay, I know this, let me move on to something else. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of gave me a different perspective. I'm like, I already heard the technical stuff, the technical stuff I know, the business aspect I know. But I'm looking for something that's different because what we have right now in the industry doesn't work. If it worked, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have such high turnovers. We wouldn't be doing all these massive layoffs, even though cybersecurity is one of the most pinnacle parts of a, of a corporation. You wouldn't see people laying off th that many thousands of people in their cybersecurity departments. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I attribute that to either their management's inability to communicate or there, there's another differentiation in there where it's it doesn't seem like they're having that proper communication that they're and Maybe it's the engineers that are having the issue, or maybe it's the cybersecurity folks, or maybe it's management, or maybe it's a mixture of the both. Mm -hmm. But if we don't start, if we don't start to make some changes somewhere, then we'll never, we'll never see any change or any adjustments. In your opinion, or in your experience, as you sit in your seat right now, and you have several relationships with, with CISOs in the industry and other practitioners as well uh, in different uh, varying roles, how is their perception these days with regards to the topics we're addressing right now? What do you see are some of the things that make them tick? Because you do uh, have the Horizon Summit coming up. And, uh, you know, my assumption is you're talking to these folks. And what's the perception there? Yeah, I think the executives, as well as most of the vendors, are, are loving the idea. Because, I mean, even even like this, the standard vendor package gives you like 19 hours worth of one-on-one -on -one time. And I'm not saying that just to create a stat. I mean, that, that is what it is. It's 19 plus hours of one-on-one -on -one time. What's that really mean? That's And that's per employee that comes. So right. when, when you break it down, it's like 
I'm not trying to sell you 10 or 15 minutes of an executive's time. I'm trying to get you to go have lunch or dinner with the executive and just go, go be a person, go have that human interaction, build the relationship. Yeah. And I, I focus, I, I focus on the aspect and this is where a lot of the other executives pretty much agree with what I'm saying. It's, and then the vendors do too. Cause once I explain it to the vendors, they, they seem to understand what I'm talking about. Right. But it, it takes me to usually, I usually have to speak to the CEO or the CFO before it actually clicks. Yeah. I, I, I have trouble speaking to marketing. It's the CMO for whatever reason we don't click, Interesting. but I understand, I understand the business acumen of it. So I can talk to the CEO and the CFO, no problem all day. And like, look, here's the thing from a vendor's perspective, let me address the, let me address the executive's perspective first. The executive's perspective, my I measure my ROI based on the relationships and the partnerships that I can build. And that's how I look at if this trade show was successful or not. What's my return on and I say investment, but I really mean my time. What's the return on my time or what's the return on my investment? Right. From from a vendor's perspective, they actually measure the return on, on investment in dollars and cents. Right. And I'm like I'm not saying that that's a bad measurement, but you know, I had another another executive reach out to me a vendor and they're like you know by the time we calculate all of this legion we go through all of these things just to finally get the meeting with that person and then you add all that up across all the people that we're going to meet at one of one of our events it's kind of like it would have been cheaper just to come to the event to begin with and see everybody face to face as it was to go through that trial and tribulation of just trying to get a virtual appointment with them yeah so going back to reiterate you know a vendor's roi and their their metric is is realized by creating the relationship with the executive just like the executive wants to create the relationship with the vendor but the, the flip side is it works both ways. So when I when I leave Neptune Media and I transition to my next project in two years, three years, whatever the case may be, or six or twelve months, who knows? Whatever the case may be, probably probably three plus years though. But the the point being is, whatever technology stack I have here, I'll take with me to the next place I go, and vice versa. Right. So he, here's here's what also happens now. Now the vendors also got repeat business because whoever I do business with today. I'll do business with tomorrow in the future because I've got that relationship already established. Right. I don't want to re I don't want to rebuild the wheel. I have no problem forging the wheel the first time. Great. But I don't want to continuously rebuild it. I don't want it to continuously repair it. It's buy it once and use it many times is, is kind of the process. And the same thing applies to the vendor. So the thing is, is when I make a relationship with the vendor or that person at that vendor, when that person changes companies and they go from, you know, per, you know, company A to company B, you know, it's very possible I might switch my business to company B. Right. Or I might now now start doing business with company B if they didn't if they're if they're not in competition with company A, mm -hmm. and there's there's plenty of people I've, I've I've done additional business with based on the relationships that I had that I had with that vendor or that person that that was at that vendor mm -hmm. for that very for that very reason because it's a relationship the relationships yes. are what what I what I value it's right. it's kind of like when people when people buy the or buy in and sponsor the Horizon Cybersecurity Summit they're not buying into the summit. They're, they're buying into me. They're buying into the other people. They're, they're buying into basically what they see and what they perceive as the face of the company, which is the moment is me. Right. I, I do. You mentioned something super intriguing to me. You mentioned, OK, you have no problem getting, you know, uh, into the CFO and, you know, getting into the CEO. They understand the value there. What is it about the conversations that you're having with the marketers that, prove to be difficult like what are the barriers you're getting uh or objections you're getting from the marketers when you talk about the roi of events like horizon or similar well, you know i'll have some i'll have a, a vendor tell me that it's too expensive and i'm like you know I, i'm not saying that our, our summits are cheap they're, they're they're not but they're not 
they're not really that expensive. If, if you compare it going back to what another CEO was saying, another vendor that actually a sponsor, they're like, if you compared how much it actually cost us, because the CEO seeing the, the, the cost of how much it costs for the marketing, the cost for the sales, the cost to develop this pipeline, because they're seeing the top level, they're, top, they're seeing the top level down. So they're seeing everything. They see right. the complete picture. And they're able to say, you know, by the time I wasted all this time, effort and money, I could have just done this and, and been there already. I didn't right. have to go through all these trials and tribulations. So the problem I have explaining sometimes to the to the CMO is they see a very a very tight knit KPI and that's kind of where the problem is. You know, going back to one of your other questions like what what could you know the marketing and the and the sales professionals do better? It's like I'm not saying KPI KPIs and metrics are bad, but sometimes they focus and they chase on the wrong KPIs and metrics. It's like it used to be like badge scans. You know, go back two years ago, it used to be batch scans. Scan a million badges, that's the best way to do it. I'm like, who's going to follow up with all those people that we scan? Now you're going to have a conversation. And that was another point that I had another question that you had. Is, it's like I hate when, you know, if I'm having a conversation with the CEO, CTO, or CMO or, or whatnot, that I've got a BDR that calls me. And again, no disrespect to the business development representative, but it's like they might not have all the notes or maybe they didn't read the notes or maybe they don't have access to the notes. And it, it just becomes frustrating on my aspect for, for right. me. Mm-hmm. So going back to why I have trouble communicating with the CMOs, it's it's because I'm trying to explain to them like, look, if you take the cost of how much our summit is and then you spread it across that, even even if you get the cheapest, cheapest, cheapest option, you still get three dinners with, mm-hmm. with an executive. How much would three dinners cost you? Mm-hmm. I can Don't tell you, it's 50, it's, 50, it's, 50 <laughs> grand, it's 50 grand each yeah. on, on, a normal, on a normal conference. You're talking about 150 grand. Yeah. You know, our, our normal packages aren't even are, – are, are, crazy crazy they're, they're, they're so much less than that it's not even funny yeah you can get started for a tenth of that it's it just it's dumbfounding it's like when they when they measured their kpis it's like they they have great great goals and great intentions but their, their metrics are just outdated they just need to be updated it's i, I kind of compare it to like just shooting in a barrel at that point like if you're going to an event like that you're surrounded for six days with fortune 500 CISOs who are on an island and you yourself are there with an opportunity to engage and build relationships with again that's like shooting in the barrel come prepared understand where folks are at any given moment prep prep yourselves before the event you know come ready with your value proposition if you're going to expo come ready with the technical chops i mean that to me that's like a no brainer i don't know i just if i were in someone's shoes and I, I looked at the cost of horizon so i was like if i were in someone's shoes off uh, off on working for a vendor, really, it's a no-brainer. And Oahu, Oahu, I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, absolutely, I mean, it just it just makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, on top of that, it's it's about building it's about building relationships. It's about it's like you know we have a saying you know relationships equal ROI. Yeah, I mean, you can't get any more basic than that. But how do you how do you scale that? Because everybody talks about, oh, God, I got to scale the business. I got to scale. It's not scalable, blah, 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 blah. How do you scale that? Like, yes, it's quality. How do you make it more systematic and scalable? You mean, how did you scale horizons? No, no, no. In general, like, you know, we talk about relationships. How do you scale relationship capital? You don't need to scale the, a, a single relationship, but you need to build multiple relationships. And right. And that's kind, of, that's kind of where the person that you send and the person that attends the summit is critical. You don't you don't want to send the person that's that's very introverted that's going to sit in the corner and, and sit at the booth the whole time. It's it's not going to be profitable for you. It right. won't be very good. 
Right. And it probably won't be very good for them either, especially in a social setting. But if yeah. you send someone who's like a social butterfly or someone who's more outgoing and avid changes or, or just likes to have a conversation, they, they will be successful. It's a, it's a, it's a networking event, right. essentially. Right. Now you mentioned uh, earlier a keyword that I really liked, follow up. Okay. In your opinion, what is the key to strong follow-up post-event, whether large or small, in the security industry? Right. So my my take on that is if I had a conversation with, you know, Bob the SE, then I would like Bob the SE to call me. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want somebody else other than the person I was having a conversation with to talk to me, to call me, because then I've got to repeat and reiterate everything I've already explained the first time. Because notes are only so good, they're only usually touch points. They're never mm-hmm. fully accurate or, or complete. Right. So at least if, if Bob and I'm making up I'm making up a name Bob, but you know if Bob wrote the notes, he'd be like, oh okay, these are the touch points I was talking about. Oh yeah, that's the conversation I was having with that guy. So it gives him the ability to to recall the conversation. I don't have to repeat everything again. Right. It's not like I'm starting a brand new conversation from scratch. And that's where it's like I get I get frustrated sometimes where you know you just get those random emails like. Hey, you know, you were at this conference last week and I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I, I wasn't, I, I registered for it. Yeah. I didn't make it, but, and you get those random emails and it's kind of like, yeah, okay. So it's going to the trash. Yeah. Cause again, it's one of those things. It's like, there's, there's no, there's no value of my time. They're just trying to spray and pray type of scenario. Right. 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 And even if you tell them, Hey, like, you know, we, I'm not opted in. Like, I don't want to be opted in. Don't you scan my badge. Don't send me an email. They do it anyway. Gotta love it. Yeah, I, I actually don't. Uh, I change my email usually halfway through the show, so that doesn't happen. <laughs> How many they, email domains do you actually own, right? <laughs> How many domains or email addresses do you own? Uh, I, I, will, I will. I will. I will. I will joke. I will kid you not. Way more than a thousand. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and it yeah. gets to the point where it's just obscene. It goes by numbers. You know, zero 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 one zero 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 two. Yeah, kid you not. True story. Can you provide um, any tips for security professionals who are coming to these large security events and also some of the smaller offsite events? What are some uh, pieces of advice that you can provide security practitioners to really gain the most value of the, the ancillary events and lobby cons and, and roundtables, dinners, parties, et cetera? You know, again, that would be just bring your phone out and, uh, you know, connect with people on LinkedIn and be social. Right. It's, it's, it's all about building a community and building that relationship. When I'm, when I'm teaching college, there's two, there's two things I tell the students. It's like build a relate. There's two things that you have to do in cybersecurity. One, build relationships Two, support the community. Mm-hmm. If you do those two things, you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are some ways that, that folks can support the community? You know, I'm, I'm not saying that everybody has to do it. I'm actually volunteering at B sides this year. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be there. So again, I'm just trying to help any way I can to support you know the, the community holistically speaking you know that people some some other people are volunteering their time to speak and, and talk about some of the other security incidents that, that are going on in the community so it's just a matter of you know doing your part not everybody's super technical not everybody's as able as everybody else some different skill sets but right. there's always there's always something that can be done there's always something that you can do i mean besides i think still needs people to help assemble and disassemble some of the booths that are that are there mm-hmm. i mean there are there are you know, a wide range of skills and things that can be done to, to help support. And by support, I don't mean necessarily financial. I mean, maybe volunteering time, you know, yeah. maybe helping prepare some meals if you're, if you're talking about a shelter or something. So there's, there's a lot of things that can be done. 
it's just a lot of people don't always do that. And I learned one thing when I was at, um, you know, KPMG in Deloitte, we always focused heavily on, on community service, mm-hmm. and trying, trying to help the local communities. And that, that's one thing that's really resonated with me and that, that stuck with me all this time. That's great. What are some other smaller events or organizations, communities that we can learn of today? So there's B-sides, you know, there are smaller conferences as well, but let's kind of list them out, ones that really stand out to you. You know, I, I typically try to find like ISSA or ISAC or the IC squared. Um, I participate with with Fair Institute, so that's always a good one. Mm-hmm. And again, some of their some of their classes are, are expensive, so I try to go to the free stuff or look at the free stuff online when it when it comes to that because some of the stuff just gets really expensive. And then there's right. Sands and some of the other bigger ones that that do that, and those are definitely a lot more expensive. Right. However, if you if you volunteer for there, if you volunteer there, you usually get fifty to seventy five percent off, so it becomes not that expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, we, I mean, do you have any questions for me? So I was reading your profile and your, your profile was actually pretty intriguing. I actually read one of your, your last LinkedIn posts about how you were talking about how you did the unthinkable, where you, you actually went around your CMO. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting story about how you actually illustrated not so much of like the negative aspect of it or the purposes or the intentions of trying to be malice, but just trying to show like, hey, look, you guys are doing something that's antiquated and since you guys aren't going to get there by yourself and update and you know use new metrics and actually learn some of the newer technologies, let me help you show you how to do it by doing it first. And actually, I, I thought that that was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it it um it was a frustration of mine in that you know I had all this great data in in Salesforce that really didn't say much to be honest. Like it was maybe an interesting story, but not the actual. Uh, insights that I needed to be successful as a demand gen marketer. And I didn't have any budget for customer research. I was never invited to analyst calls. Uh, sales have their own questions that they need to ask. Customer success have their own questions that they need to ask. But it didn't give me the complete story. And so I was like, okay, well, if I don't have the resources and I don't have the the buy-in right now, well, just go learn to do it yourself. You know, uh, instead of just waiting around, twiddling thumbs, making assumptions, uh, and so, yeah, I kind of went around and, and did it on my own and uh, it, it was really a blessing and I learned a lot in a very short amount of time. Um, I, I mean, it took me to places that I really didn't think it would take me. Um, I kind of found my groove. So that was really exciting and refreshing because it's challenging. It's challenging as a marketer in this industry. You know, you talk to CMOs and they're, they're in a rough spot. They're in a rough spot right now. It's not easy. I mean... I'm five years in this industry, in the security industry, and it's just, it's the hardest period of time, I think, for startups right now. I think that the story really, that story really resonated with me. Uh, it looks like, I don't want to say that you're trying to be like a badass and just try to like, you know, take the, take the bull by the horns type of scenario. Like, you know, you're going to do it yourself and go rogue. It was more along the lines of like, hey, we've got a problem. It's not getting addressed. If I'm going to be successful in what I'm doing, you actually took the initiative to actually get the job done. And that's, that's something that I would I would also recommend to other other security practitioners. You know, I, idealistically, was if you see a problem, don't complain about the solution. We have a lot. I go to a lot of other conferences, and a lot of the CISOs complain about the problems. But nobody wants to talk about the solutions. I'm like, this is a waste of time. Yeah. It's like if we're not if we're not going to talk about solutions, I can sit there and bitch and complain all I want to other people. I'm like, this. I could have stayed at home for this. Right. I didn't have to, I didn't have to I didn't have to come here. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like. Yeah, we talk about problems, especially at the Horizon Summit. We talk about problems, but we also 
provide solutions. We talk about solutions and ways to ways to cope, ways to deal, and ways to address certain situations. Right. And that's that's where another thing that I found was was broken was like everybody complains about problems. I'm like, yeah, I know, stuff's broken, but tell them, tell me over and over again it's broken. It's not helpful. This, right. Unless you're going to follow it up with like, and the solution is, it's it's kind of a counterproductive type of scenario. I also found that in my journey, it, like a lot of the folks that I was, my colleagues, other marketers, sales folks, subscribe to those problems, meaning they don't know that they're actually problems. And so they continue down the path of status quo. And I address this frequently. And so I, you know, when I started learning all these great things from buyers and just learn, you know, in my journey of, of pursuing customer research, I was like, okay, hold on. I'm in these forums, I'm talking to colleagues, and I'm realizing that they're double downing on, on things that are not going to resonate on the contrary. Like they're going to negatively impact their brand from a personal perspective, from an organizational perspective, just make buyers disgruntled. Let's help them out and actually like give them the insight. I don't need to, I don't need to keep it only to myself. This is kind of like, you know, I'm getting high enough, high level enough insight that I could share it with my community. And, and I just wanted to serve that to the community because I didn't want the whole experience of the customers in the industry and the whole experience of marketers who are trying to level up be impacted by st subscribing to the status quo that they don't think is the status quo. They don't know it's the status quo. So that was one one um, element that I, I really wanted to address is, you know, let's let's serve this industry. And, and I think one thing that really resonated with me is that a lot of the practitioners I talked to have this servant mindset, right? They want to help people. They're here to protect people. They're here to help folks out. And so I really kind of like that really hit home to me that really resonated with me. And I wanted to, I really wanted to help the community. There's no kind of like hidden agenda here um, for me. It's just helping everybody. And if they want to work with me, that's just the cherry on top. Um, and I've been fortunate, again, I've been fortunate enough to work with practitioners and folks and, and collaborate with, with CISOs who want to provide the alternative. And that's the key here. You talked about problems and we need solutions. The, we're trying to find solutions to problems. And if they work, great. If not, we'll, we'll, look, we'll look under another rock, right? So it's about continuing, continuous building, continuous experimentation, continuous conversation from both sides. To me, that's, that's what's going to make this industry a little bit better. I really believe in that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the whole CICD pipeline type of thing. It's like, yeah, you're continuously improving. Yeah. So, so we, we always should continuously improve as a, as a, as a community. If, if you look back at, you know, what, what, you know, the, the red team, or you, may, you might say white hat, black hat, you know, do differently. Like the black hats, the, the, that, that, I don't want to say peer groups or hackers, but basically if you look at like the adversarial type of connection, you know, they'll talk amongst themselves in the forums like, Hey, look, I got into the firewall this way. If you do this, that'll at least get you to stage one. I don't know about stage two, but they'll communicate. So mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is in their adversarial groups, they'll actually communicate and they'll, they'll have their little chats. Uh, what we will not do in the, on the white team or the, the white side of cybersecurity is communicate. They will, mm -hmm. we have InfraGuard and FSI stack and all this other stuff. But maybe I delayed my TTPs and my my IOCs to the you know the boards just because I had to sterilize it, and make sure it didn't conflict. And by the time I got it to the board and they they replicated it back out to another financial institution, they already got hit. Yeah. So it's, it's that it's that delay, that latency that causes the problem. Mm. 
it's it's like we don't we don't openly talk about stuff and if we if we do actually disclose stuff it's like how much of that stuff that that happened was really disclosed and the answer is probably not a hundred percent i mean generally speaking so it's like we've got that problem we've got that that ability to share data and that communication problem in the industry you know the the hackers are talking amongst themselves they're talking about what's working and, and how things get done and on on the other side they don't talk about anything everything's like sealed lips never happened closed doors and it's like yep if we keep this mentality we're, we're never going to win we can't win right right it's kind of like you're, you're you were you were speeding down the highway and then you see the you know the, the police officer coming behind you. It's like yeah, you might have a super fast car and you might be able to outrace them, but they got something you don't have. It's called a radio. They can mm-hmm. you know call ahead to the to the people down down the street, and you you can't run the radio. And that's kind of where the bad guys kind of use the same thing. They right. they they phone home or they they phone each other and tell each other what they're doing and how to, how it works. And we we pretend like we don't have phones, we don't have radios. Like we just mm-hmm. keep everything in isolation. I'm like. This is never going to work. Right. But I, I love that analogy. Uh, I couldn't agree more. We are headed towards the end of the session. We could talk about this for hours, but I do want to know, is there one thing you want to impart on the audience today before we sign off? Absolutely. Yes. If, uh, if they haven't registered already for the in-person aspect of it, or if it was full, I can't tell. They should definitely register for the virtual aspect of the summit. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit uh, quickly where they can find information about the summit, Horizon Cybersecurity Summit, when it is, where it is, and just kind of a quick overview. Yeah, absolutely. So the website is horizonsummit.org, and it is October 1st through October 6th at Turtle Bay Resort in Hawaii. Amazing. I am looking forward to being there. Hopefully I'll be able to provide some valuable information to a group of CISOs, make some connections, hang out, have a good time, learn a lot of new things and, and gather some insights there. We'll drop links to the summit registration form below in this episode. And where can folks find you, Charles? I would say the place that I'm most active is probably LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, they can look for NYL. So also stood for New York Life and then Charles Payne. So NYL Charles Payne. Nice. Nice. Well, Charles, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on the show. You're always welcome back. I agree. I really appreciate your time today, Danny. Thank you. My pleasure. This has been another episode of Audience First. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.